you have your Bibles, you can turn to Psalm 51. We're going to be looking at Psalm 51, verse 1, and then verses 7 through 15. Friends, listen. This is God's word. To the choir master, a psalm of David, when Nathan the prophet was sent to him after he had gone in to Bathsheba. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love. According to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins. And blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God. And renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence. And take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. And uphold me with a willing spirit. Then I will teach transgressors your ways. And sinners will return to you. Deliver me from blood guiltiness, O God, O God of my salvation. And my tongue will sing aloud of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips, and my mouth will declare your praise. This is God's word. Seems like most people, most people that you meet, most people in this church want to love other people. Right? Pretty fair statement. We want to love people. Even Jesus said, love your neighbors as yourself. Right? That's the one thing everybody knows Jesus said. Right? The golden rule. Um, we all want to be good people. You know, we want to, we want to, be, we want to love our, our, our neighbors. We want to help other people. As a church, again, we've even made this resolution together. We are resolved to love our neighbors. You know, and so that part, part of that resolution includes a desire to see our neighbors try out Christianity, to see our neighbors um, try out Jesus and understand really what it means to follow him. Right? There's so many misconceptions. We want our neighbors, the folks, our coworkers, our colleagues, our, you know, you know, the, the friends, the family members that we have that don't know Jesus, we want them to have an, an opportunity to experience Jesus. Um, and part of what we want is we're using Easter as kind of a rallying point using Easter to, um, to bring two folks who don't know Jesus to church, right? That, that's part of what we're trying to do. And we see this, this whole resolution is here in this passage. It's in verse 13. Look at what it says there. It says, I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners will return to you, right? This is what we want to do. We want to teach people who are, who are wandering away. We want to teach folks who are lost how to come back to God, right? This is our resolution. But did you see the word that begins this verse? Did you see the first word of verse 13 that comes before teaching transgressors, before sinners return? It's the word then. It's the word then. I bolded it, I italicized it, and I underlined it there in your bulletin. Then means that there's what? There's an if. Right? If there's a then, then there's an if. It's if something happens, then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners will return to you. 
So according to God, right, according to God, something has to happen before you can help others know God. Okay, if you want to love other people, if you want to help other people, something has to happen first, according to God. You think about this, why, why doesn't it happen naturally that we share our faith with others, that we teach other people how to know God, that we share our own experience? Why doesn't this happen naturally? Well, I mean, I guess several reasons. For some time, Sometimes it's, people are kind of judgmental and harsh. Right? Sometimes we're harsh and judgmental and people aren't interested in the God that we say we believe in because we might say he's love, but he sounds like a jerk. Sometimes we're just silent. You know, we're afraid of how what we say might come across. We're afraid of being rejected. We're afraid of not knowing the right thing to say. Or we're afraid that if somebody has a, an objection to Christianity and we don't know what the answer is, then, oh my goodness, what's going to happen there? You know, and so sometimes we're harsh, sometimes we're silent, and sometimes we're just not paying attention. We just don't actually think about the fact that, um, that people would be amazingly blessed if they could know Jesus. And we get so consumed in our own lives and the busyness. If you want to be successful in any relationship with people who don't believe in Jesus, if you want to have an opportunity to share Jesus with someone in a way that will really be a blessing to them, right? If you want to fulfill our resolution to bring two folks who don't know Jesus to church on Easter, then something has to come first. Something has to come first. And what has to come first is that you have to be experiencing God. Okay? You need to experience God. That is the if, and that's the point. The point of, well, the point that we're going to look at from this psalm today is that if you experience God, then he'll use you to help others do the same. Amen. Okay? If you experience God, then he will help, he'll, he'll use you to help others do the same. And so we're going to see this in three points. And three points are going to line out. How do we actually experience God? Well, first, we're going to see you need to go deeper with God. We're going to talk about that. Second, you need to go deeper with the church. And then third, third, in that order, then you go deeper with the world. Okay, so you need to go deeper with God, deeper with the church, and then deeper with the world. So first, let's look at deeper with God. Deeper with God. This psalm, David, the king, King David wrote this psalm. And when he wrote this psalm, he was in a world of hurt. He was in a world, or he was in an awful place. Look at the beginning of the psalm. The psalm, oh, it got cut off. If you have your Bibles, in your Bible, there is a heading to this psalm. Okay? Right before verse 1, and it says this. It says, I read this when I was reading the scripture. It says this, To the choir master, a psalm of David, when Nathan the prophet went to him after he had gone in to Bathsheba. Okay, now scholars argue over whether those introductions of the Psalms are actually inspired or, or, or not. Um, the chances are pretty good that they're not inspired by God, but they are a commentary. They let us know when it happened. And so what's happening here, David wrote this Psalm. David wrote this Psalm after something had happened in his life. David had just committed adultery 
I think a lot of people, even if you're not a Christian, you might have know, you might have heard this story. Dave was up on this roof. He sees a woman bathing and wants her. And so he takes her to himself. He calls for her. Her husband is actually in David's army. He's one of David's chief men in the army, but he's off fighting in the wars. And so while the husband's off fighting, David has sex with Bathsheba. Um, he gets her pregnant, and then he, try, he covers it up by murdering Uriah. So he sends, he sends or he, well, it's a long story, but he basically murders Uriah to cover it up. And so what God did was God sent a prophet. He sent Nathan the prophet to David, and Nathan confronted David with his sin. What we see here in this psalm is David's response to being confronted. David melted in sorrow and repentance. This psalm shows us how David dealt with his sin. It shows us how he dealt with his sin, adultery, murder. And by doing that, it also shows us how we can deal with our sin, both big sins and small sins. You know, maybe you haven't committed adultery. I know some of you have. Maybe you haven't committed murder. What's great here, though, is that when we see someone dealing with the big stuff, the big stuff, David's blazing a trail for us so that we can follow after his pathway with our sins that we might see as lesser sins. And so that's the context that David is writing this psalm in. And what does David do? David, he goes deeper with God. He runs to God. He runs to God. And what does he do? The first thing he does within this is he asks for forgiveness. Look at verse 1. Have mercy on me, O God. Blot out my transgressions. Look at verse 7. Purge me with hyssop. That was a leafy branch that the priests would use as part of the ceremonial cleaning of people. They would come in with their sins. They would dip this hyssop branch in, in the holy water and they would sprinkle it declaring people washed. And so David says, purge me with hyssop, wash me, and I'll be whiter than snow. Verse 14, he says, deliver me from blood guiltiness, O God. He's saying, take away my guilt. And so David begs God for forgiveness. He begs God for forgiveness. Then he asks for inner renewal. He asks for inner renewal. David knows that The problem is not just what he did, although what he did was pretty bad. But it's not just what he did, but David knows that part of the problem is that he has a heart that wanted to do what he did. And so he asks God for inner renewal. Look at verse 10. He says, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. A clean heart that's forgiven and then wants to do what's right. A right spirit. That word right, it means steadfast. It means reliable. It's strong enough to stay faithful when things are difficult. That's what David is asking for. And look at verse 12. The end of verse 12, he says, Uphold me with a willing spirit. And so David is saying, My heart needs to be changed. My spirit needs to be changed. I need a willing spirit. Give me a spirit that wants to do the right thing, right? How often is that the problem? Not that we don't know what the right thing to do is, but we just don't want to do the right thing, right? David says, give me a willing spirit, a spirit that wants what God wants. I mean, that's really what you need in the midst of temptation. 
That's what David needed when he was up on the roof and the whole thing got started. He needed a willing spirit, a spirit that, boy, that when you're on the internet doesn't want to look at the stuff, doesn't want to click that link where you know where it's going, right? It's the same thing for us. He asks for inner renewal. This is what we need. And this is what God grants to those who seek him. Verses 10 to 12 paint this picture of of a person, a man or a woman, where your thoughts and your desires are clean. They're faithful. They're trustworthy, reliable, and you're willing. That's the picture that David is longing for. And so you need to ask yourself, where in your mind and heart Right? Where in your thoughts and your desires, where are you unclean? Where are you unfaithful? Where are you unreliable? Where are you unwilling? Think about that. There's another part of the Psalms where David says, I think it's David, he says, um, search me, O God. Search my heart. Try my thoughts and see if there's anything in me that is grievous to you. Where do you not have a clean heart? What part of your life are you unclean, unreliable, unfaithful, unwilling? I'd encourage you to write things down. If the Lord is bringing things to your mind, write them down. If you see somebody writing next, you don't look at their paper. (laughs) I was doing that this week. This week, Lord, where where is the filth in my heart? Lord, where am I unfaithful? Where am I unwilling? And God began to speak. God began to show me things. You know, we talk about spiritual growth. You know, we all want to grow and mature in our walk with God and our relationship with God. And if you don't know where you should be growing, this is it. This is it. Think about where you are and and what areas. This is where you can start, right? This can help you sort of focus your spiritual efforts on particular areas where you need to experience what David was begging for. This is how you deepen your relationship with God. You know, we talk about going deeper with God. This is how you do it. You come to him. If you feel dry, if you feel spiritually empty, if you feel lonely, like God is far away from you, this is how you get close to him again. Because what's David doing here? He's praying. David takes his dryness, his sin, his uncleanness, and he goes to God with it. He prays, and his prayer is one of confession. If you don't know what to do with the Lord, if you don't know where to go or where to start, start with confession. Just confess to the Lord, this is where I'm at. This is what I'm struggling with. These are the things that I've done. That's where it starts. So how does God respond? How does God respond? Well, this, this psalm tells us 
God responds by giving joy to our broken bones. Look at verse 8. The second part of verse 8. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. It's kind of interesting, right? Not quite sure how that fits in, right? Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Maybe that will remind you of the Hosea 6 passage we read earlier in the service. Um, This is a shepherding picture. Okay, this is a picture that if you don't understand how shepherds um, dealt with their sheep, you'll miss out on the glory of what this verse says. Okay, when when sheep get get scared, they scatter. Okay, scared sheep run away, and straying sheep often means injured sheep. Okay, you can Google this; you can find the way the story is told. Um, When sheep stray, they usually get injured, and often and sometimes they'll die. They wander off. They're susceptible. They're foolish. Um, And so what does a good shepherd do with a sheep that strays? He breaks their leg. This is what the scholars say. Shepherd breaks their leg. In ancient times, when a certain lamb developed a habit of consistently straying away from the shepherd and endangering his life, the shepherd would take the sheep that strayed and break one of its legs. He then would masterfully set the broken leg and then he would lift the lamb on to his shoulders and he would carry that lamb day after day after day until its leg healed. And during that time, the shepherd would feed the sheep. The shepherd would, would nurture the sheep. The shepherd would care for that sheep. And eventually, when the lamb was able to walk again, that sheep would never, ever leave the shepherd's side. David has gotten to a place in verse 8 where he recognizes that the brokenness in his life, the things that he's experienced since his sin of adultery and murder, the brokenness that has come upon him, he now realizes that God has used his sin to bring him back to God's side. David is saying, God, you've made me limp, and I am now grateful. I have gotten to a place in my life, God, where I am grateful for the consequences of my actions because the consequences of my actions have brought me back to you. The bones that you have broken rejoice. How many of you are experiencing broken bones right now? Part of your life that's just broken. Here's what's amazing about God's word, about the Bible, is that, man, you can't make this up. You would never, ever even think about this if it wasn't here in the text. God is using 
the brokenness. This is what he does. God doesn't force us to love him. Right? We're not robots. And so one of the ways that God, um, that, that God responds to us when we run away from him is he says, okay, and he lets us experience the consequences of our actions. He lets us experience the broken lives that result from our bad actions. Because his desire is that we will see the brokenness and come back to him. That's where God is leading you. So that the bones that he has allowed to break, the bones that he has broken in your life, that you will rejoice over that because that brokenness will have its, the result of bringing you back to him. When you confess, when you go to the Lord with your uncleanness, your unfaithfulness, your unreliability, your unwillingness, when you confess those things, that's the beginning of God bringing you back. And that's the place where you can say, I still remember man, the night I became a Christian. The night I became a Christian, man, my life was in a wreck. It was in a shambles. I thought my life was going to end. I didn't know how I was going to face the next day. And I remember praying and asking God. I remember saying, Jesus, I am not doing a good job running my life. Will you please come into my life and show me the way? And when I was done with that prayer, I can remember that none of my circumstances had changed, but I thought, you know what? At least, at least, at least I am now in a relationship with God. That's it. That's how God responds. That's how God responds to us. Now, I want to just say a quick word on, on the assurance. Because like, in one sense, if you're looking at this and kind of just with fresh eyes, you think, man, what's the deal here? How can someone who has committed murder or committed adultery, lied about it, conspired about it, and then committed murder. Like, what business does this person have in the presence of God? Right? I mean, confess your... I mean, David, man, you got to go... You don't even belong in God's presence, let alone ask him to forgive. Like, where do you get the gall to ask God to forgive you? Right? Have you ever felt that way? I mean, I know there's some stuff that those recurring issues of the, the habitual sins that I've got in my own life. You know, there's times where I feel like, God, I don't even belong here in your presence. I'm about to ask you for forgiveness again. But, and it's like, where do I get, where do we get the gall to keep coming back to God? Have you ever wondered about that? I mean, this is where I, I really empathize with some non-Christian folks that I know because they've gotten frustrated and been like, what's the deal here? You guys act like you could just go waltzing into the presence of God whenever you want and get free forgiveness whenever you want. Like, what's up with that? So you can do whatever you want and then just ask for forgiveness and it's gone? I kind of understand that. Like, that is a bit frustrating. You know, if you think someone's abusing it, you think someone's using it as an excuse to just do what they want. So how can David go into God's presence with this, knowing what he did? Did you see it? Did you see it when we read the text? You might not have. Look at verse 1. It's at the very beginning. It's the thing that establishes David's relationship with God. He says, Have mercy on me, O God, 
according to your steadfast love. According to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. What David is saying here, and this is so good for us to hear, for all of us to hear, is that when David goes in and asks for forgiveness, he's saying, God, the only reason, the only reason I'm here is because of your boundless love. The only reason I feel safe even to to, to utter your name in a prayer is because of just how merciful you are. I'm praying according to your loving kindness, according to your mercy, Lord. If it weren't for those things, I would be running as fast as I possibly can to hide from you. It's not gall. It's not presumption when the one that you've offended says, come. When God says that when sin abounds, my grace will superabound, then you can come without fear. That's when you can come without fear. There are lots of things that David knew and saw that taught him that God was this merciful and this loving. Friends, what we have is even better than what David had. If you want to know how willing God is to forgive your sins, you just need to look to Jesus. You need to see him, God, come in the flesh, so willing to receive you back, so willing to, uh, to, to welcome you back into his family, so willing to shower you with forgiveness and grace that he himself died on the cross to take the guilt and the punishment from you. Where do you get the gall to go into God's presence and confess even the worst stuff that you've done? You get it from the cross. And it's not gall. It's just saying, God, this is who you are. This is who you've revealed yourself to be. And so because of that, I'm coming. That's, (laughs) if David paves the way, Jesus paves an even greater way. And what's amazing is that it's his blood that washes us clean. And then it's his spirit that is steadfast. It's his spirit that's the right spirit that is faithful and reliable and wants to always do the right thing. And that's the spirit. We get his holy spirit when we believe. And so you get both cleansing and power. Cleansing and power because you get Jesus, both in his death and in his resurrection. And so for you, for you, how do you go deeper with God? Man, pray. Go into the presence of God. This is David praying. He took his sin and went to the Lord. 
Let your prayers be filled with confession because that's where it starts. That's how you start going deeper with God. I found this quote. This is a great quote. There are times when intimacy with God comes only when I'm brutally honest with the Lord about specific sins. If you come clean with him, he'll make you clean and draw near. That's what David says we do. Our second point, after we go near with God, and this is, the last two points are shorter, they're more application oriented. Um, Our second point is that you also need to go deeper with the church. Okay? If, If you experience God in this way, if we experience God in this way as a church family, it creates a culture of grace. It creates a culture of grace. It affects the relationships that we have with each other. And we need to do this because we have to remind each other that grace is really true. Because it's easy for us to go. It's easy just for us to stop believing. It's easy for us to go, you know what? I know, he's, I know what it says, but it's not true for me because you don't know what I've done. And in those moments when you don't believe the promises or you don't feel the promises, you need someone else to remind you. You need someone else to look you in the eye and say, you know what? This is true for you. What God says is true for you. Dietrich Bonhoeffer once said that there are times when we need the Christ in each other. We can't do this on our own. And what's amazing is that when we involve other people, right? When we invite other people into the struggles that we have, usually what happens is that your struggle is just what others need to hear because they're in the same boat. They're in the same boat. This happened to me. I had this radical experience of cleansing and forgiveness and renewal from Jesus um, not two days ago, but Friday of last week. And I've been sharing what Jesus did. I shared it last Sunday, but I've been sharing it with other people um, in, in a little more detail. And I could just see Jesus speaking to them. What he did to me was exactly what they needed to hear. So this is why we need to go deeper with the church. We need to share this walk with each other. And I mean, we see that from this because this is a psalm, right? David wrote this, but then he gave it to Israel. This is part of the hymn book for, the, for ancient Israel. And so the whole nation sang this song. David was willing. He was open about his struggles and he invited other people to experience what he experienced. So God has made us both individuals, but also part of a family. And so individually, we all need to go deeper with God. We need to experience him. But when we do it together, when we do it together, our spiritual life takes on a new dimension. I mean, this is why our community groups are such a vital part of our ministry. I mean, this is what happens. And you think about it, it's God's word. It's prayer that makes a huge difference in your friendships Right? His word injects life from heaven. It's like God speaks and he's present in your life with his word. As you read his word and put it into practice, as you pray together, 
It's like uh, together you are going up, you're ascending into heaven, into God's presence together and you're with him. And so we got to be going deeper with each other. You got to be willing to say, look, here's what's going on in my life. Here's what's going on in my life. You need to be in those kind of relationships. Our third point. Our third point is the big then. It's the big then. If you go deeper with God, you go deeper with the church, then, third, you go deeper with the world. All right, finally, we're at verse 13. Then I will teach transgressors your ways, and sinners will return to you. That's what happens. When you experience God in this way, and you have relationships, friendships that, that, that enhance your spiritual walk with God, as you do this, then there are people in your life who will return to God. You will have opportunities to share. You'll teach other people how God thinks, the way God responds, how amazing his grace is. They'll start to pray. People will try it out. People will begin to be drawn They'll ask questions as you begin to share with them. And if you want to know why, like why do you have to do the first two before you can do the third? Well, it's because then you are like them. Then you're like them and people can relate to you because you have just done what they need to do. Okay, going into the presence of the Lord, you know, growing spiritually, experiencing God makes you humble. Confession makes you realize it's not you, it's God. It's his grace. It's his forgiveness. It's his loving kindness and his mercy, right? And so you're humble. You're not self-righteous. Plus, you also can speak with assurance because you now know you've experienced God's forgiveness. You've experienced the, the rejoicing that comes. You have bones that are now rejoicing that have been broken, right? You have a story to share. You have real life experience that means something. If you go to the Lord like this, you pursue him and experience him, he will use even your sin to help others experience his grace. Amen. It's this grace this forgiveness, this renewal that creates a spirit in us that's free. It's free to love and to serve others with reckless abandon. Makes us super willing to forgive, to accept people exactly where they are. Because who are we? Right? It moves us to love people in the way that God loves them. To share God's kindness and grace with them because we've experienced it. And so this week, I mean, where does all this come out? This week, starting today, talk with God. Spend time with God this week. Talk to him. Make a list of three things where you are either unclean or unfaithful or unwilling. Make a list of those things and pray about them. You can take the words of this psalm. Just pray this prayer with those things in mind. 
And then share what you're doing with one other person here in the church. Could be in community group. You could share it with more than one, but share it with somebody else because you need to see what happens. You need to experience it. Something powerful happens, especially when we're talking about confession. When you let somebody else into your world, boy, like the light comes on in a different way. Your whole perspective. When we isolate ourselves, weird things happen in terms of what we're willing to do, what we're willing to justify, what we're willing to not be accountable for. Invite somebody else in this week. You could just send them an email. Hey, this is what I'm praying about. I mean, it could be as simple as that, right? But as you experience God through prayer this week, and then share your experience with somebody else in the church. Okay, this is what we need to do. You know, and if we step back, we have this resolution to love our neighbors. You know, this, this isn't about, it's not just about putting, filling up the seats here in the theater. Okay, we're resolved together to bring two folks who don't know Jesus to church. And it's not because we all want it. We have the spiritual tally that we want to check off. Okay. That's not what it's about. It's not about um, other people. It's about us growing deeper with God. Amen. Like That's what this is about. You're not going to be able to convince or to persuade or even invite anybody with any manner of credibility in your life to follow Jesus. If you're not experiencing his grace and the wonder of the good news, and how he doesn't just cleanse you, but he changes you from the inside out. Amen. Right? That's what this is all about. You know, if you look on page eight, you know, steps in our resolution to love our neighbors. I mean, what we're doing in January, all we're doing in January, Easter's four months off. It's about three now. Easter's still four, you know, you know months away. Um, January's all about praying. That's all we're called to do this month. All we're calling you to do this month is just to pray. <clears throat> to pray. Pray about your relationship with Christ. Right? Go deeper by spending time with him. Because my hope is that you will be convinced that real growth happens when you spend time in the Bible and in prayer. Right? Then I want you to pray with folks in the church. Because so, I want you to experience what happens when you pray and seek the Lord together as a family. And then start praying for the non-Christians in your life. Who do you know that really needs Jesus? Just start praying for them. That's the point of this resolution. Right? We got two days left of January. So two days for you to be able to, if you haven't started yet, to engage in prayer. So that God can begin to work in us. So that... If you follow through with this, you're going to find that it's going to be easy for you. It's going to be easy for you just to talk about what you're experiencing. And we're going to keep giving you tools. We're going to keep talking about how to do this in a way that would actually make the non-Christians in your life want to hear about it. It's not about gimmicks. It's not about techniques. It's just about the friends that you have and wanting to share what's going on in your life. That's it. You know, Really, it's, we just have a, there's a fork in the road for our church. There's a fork in the road for you and how you interact with God over the next four months will in large measure make all the difference in what God does through you. Remember last week we saw how it's our participation in God's work that extends his presence throughout the world. That's all we're talking about. That's all 
we're talking about. It's just we're on a pathway and we can either choose to go deeper with him, deeper with the church, deeper with the world, or we can choose not to. What will we be like if we seek the Lord like this? What will you be like? What areas of your life will you in three months' time be able to say, you know, I am not perfect, but there's a difference. God is changing me. God is really working in my life in powerful ways. And I'm excited about that. I mean, that's what, sta- that's, that's what lays before us. And so I hope you're in. I hope you're in. Don't get left behind. Don't get left behind because it's just what Gerard said at the beginning. <laughs> we lift up our hearts in praise and who knows what God will do. Let's pray together. Father, according to your steadfast love and according to your mercy, would you please bless us? Not because we deserve it, but because you are full of love and grace. Father, help us. Lord, so many people here, Christians and non, feel empty. They feel far from you. Would you lead them back? Would you lead them back into your presence? Would you help them to return to you as they pray and seek your face? As they confess the things that are in them, respond. Create in us, Lord, a clean heart. Renew a steadfast and a right spirit within us. Lord, for our sake, so that we might lift you up for your sake, so we could tell the world how amazing you are. And then for the sake of the world that you came to save, Lord, for those folks who are here and don't know you yet, would you help them see the trail that David has blazed for them, that trail that leads to the cross of Jesus? would you help them to see that with you there is mercy and grace and forgiveness and to come to you confessing their sins that you might fill them with your spirit. Do this, Lord, for our sake and for the sake of your church. Amen.